transformation in our lives because Jesus rose from the grave is the reason we even have a cornerstone for life. Amen, church? Because he rose from the grave is even is the reason why we are in church this morning praising him. It is all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. If we come to church and don't mention Jesus, we're doing church wrong. It is all because of Jesus. We are here this morning, we are worshiping God this morning, and we are transformed ourselves. Amen? Amen. You may be seated this morning. I, don't, I feel like I don't have to preach at all because I just, you know, I, I said it's all because of Jesus, and so if you leave church knowing anything today, and you leave church knowing it's all because of Jesus, then the preacher did his job. So I might as well just get off the stage and have some coffee and bagels because I did my job. I won't do that. I won't do that. But good to see you in church this morning. Happy October 31st day. I don't know what that means to you, but it means a lot of different things to different people. But guess what? Regardless of what you believe or celebrate, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will be glad and rejoice in it. Amen? Amen. We're going to be starting our stewardship series today. So from this Sunday all the way up until our Vision Sunday, November 21st, we're going to have our stewardship series talking about our finances and being a good steward to God. And as I think about stewardship and that word, I find it a funny word because stewardship, when I think of the word steward, I automatically think of an airline or airplane stewardess. That's what comes to my mind, a stewardess who you know, gives me a snack and a drink and tells me to put my mask on on the airplane. Right? That's what I think of when I think of stewardess. But stewardship, it's a funny word. It's like a Christianese word. You know what a Christianese word means? It's a word that you normally only use in church. Do you know those kinds of words? Like you don't go around the grocery store saying, oh, I need to eat fruit to edify myself. Right? Edification, that's not a normal word. Or how about, how about the hedge of protection? Right? You don't hear someone say, oh, I need a hedge of protection around me outside of church. It's one of those words that's like a a Christianese statement. So stewardship sounds like a Christianese statement to me, but in all reality, in the ancient world, stewardship is not a religious term. Rather, it's a key component to commerce. Almost every business had a steward who served like an ancient chief operating, chief, uh, operating officer, running daily affairs of the master of the house. Simply put, a steward was someone who was entrusted with the management of someone else's affairs. So that in essence, a steward implies a two-party proposition. One person owns the resources, and the other person is entrusted with the resources. So by definition, steward is an accountable position to the master of how well resources are invested. Hmm. So how does that apply to us today? Since God owns all things, he is the master, he distributes gifts and resources at his discretion, and we are all stewards accountable to him for all that we are given. So when you have the perspective that life is a gift, your life is a gift, your spouse's life is a gift, your family, their lives are gifts, even your beloved pets are gifts, 
They are gifts because God has created them. He is the creator of all life. Then we can truly start to grasp that everything we see is God's. We are just managers of already God's possessions. Don't believe me? Well, consider this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I, this is just a little insert. Male, two genders, male and female, not a gen gender unknown. He created a male and a female in his image, right? As we move forward, God blessed male and female, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is called biblical delegation. We are delegated to rule over his creation, and we are, in fact, his creation as well. C.S. Lewis writes in his famous book, Mere Christianity, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Now that we've established that everything, I mean everything, is God's, and we just manage it, meaning all the natural resources were created by God and everything that we have is from God by some shape or form, manufactured from natural resources, we can confidently say that the chairs that you're sitting in today is God's. The car that you drove to church is God's. The plastic water bottle that you drink out of today is God's. And we are participating in managing God's creation. The theme of participation in God's creation is picked up in 1 Corinthians by Paul when he says, For we are God's fellow workers. That means we are working with God. We are delegated to work with God. Elsewhere, Paul mentions that we are working together with him. In essence, God is at work in your life and around the world, and you have the privilege of participating in his work. Think about it this way. When Jesus builds his church, he does th so through the participation of work through you and I. We are participating with God and managing God's creation. So this morning, when you leave the sanctuary, and you go and you eat your bagel in the cafe this morning, remember that Christ provided you that bagel through farmers, bakers, truck drivers, deli, and the cafe workers. Amen? We are all in participation together managing God's kingdom. The fact that we are stewards of God's creation, and there are expectations for us to live up to. And that leads us to the verse in the parable that we're going to be studying this morning, and that's in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. We're going to read it from verse 14. And it reads again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work 
and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. You know, there's a, there's a certain shock value when you read scripture verses. Like, is that real? Did, he, did Jesus really say those words in the parable? He really, really said them. So let's study them and, and, and realize what he means by what he says. So I want to read this in context or put it in context for you. So the parable begins with the word again, meaning that it is a run-on from the previous parable. So the previous parable in this chapter in Matthew, believe it or not, was the parable about the ten virgins and the oil in their lamps. And so I just want to remind you that the Bible wasn't written with chapters, with pages, and with verses. So the original authors didn't just write in, oh, this chapter begins here, this chapter begins... It's, it's a run-on story. And so when this 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 parable starts with the word again it really means that it's starting with the same headline that the previous parable starts with and that was at the time the kingdom in heaven will be like and so when you transpose that starting of the headline and put it in this parable because it's still the same run-on story you can read it like this at the time the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey so this is a parable about the master of God leaving, being gone for a significant amount of time and then returning and judging these servants and what they have done with what they were responsible for. This is absolutely about a parable about Jesus' return to us and our responsibilities as managers of resources which have eternal consequences. This leads us to our four principles of management this morning. And that first principle is the principle of ownership. In this parable of the talents, we see that the master entrusted his wealth to them, each according to his ability. So when we think about work and thinking about working for ourselves and creating our own wealth, we have to put it in perspective of also a, of an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy 8.17 when it says, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. 
Immediately after that verse, in 18, it says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So there is a responsibility to produce wealth out of your own work ethic and create ownership out of your own work ethic. But that is in the perspective that God allows you the ability to produce wealth. I hate to break it to you this morning, but you own nothing. You don't own anything. It's all God's. Everything you have is because of God. God owns everything. And then probably the bank owns everything else because you're paying it off. And then in some way the government owns it because you're taxed on it. So ownership is kind of an illusion that you're just literally, the reality is you're allowed to have it. God allows you to have it, the bank allows you to have it, and the government allows you to have it. Ownership is an illusion. God's sovereignty allows us to have wealth, so be thankful. When I think about our ability, I can't help but to think about your life and my life and the timeline that we are in right now. We are living in 2021 in the United States of America. No other time has life been so easy and so comfortable and so accessible to wealth. Let's put it in perspective. In the year 1800, the average life expectancy worldwide was 29 years old. Why is that? Because 43% of newborns died within five years. That statistic is now less than 1%, so nationally. So that means that 220 years ago, 43% of you would not be here alive today. So look to your neighbor to your left. Look to your neighbor to your right. Look at yourself. Almost half of you would not be here today if it were the year 1800. Due to advancement in health and technology, as well as the freedoms that we have in this country, we are living in the completely easiest time period in human history. So the qualitative and quantitative measurements of wealth are at our fingertips, which means we are living in a time where our abilities to create wealth and to use wealth is at an all-time high. Our abilities related to the time frame we are in history as well as where we are geographically means that we have an abundance of wealth. How many are thankful that you don't live in the year 1800? I am super thankful I'm living here right now. How many are glad that you don't have to work really, really hard just to have food? How many are glad that you have an automobile, a car, transportation, you can fly from one side of the country to the other side of the country? We are living in an age of technology that makes life really easy. We are comfortable. We are happy. We have the ability to create wealth and to reach people at an instant where people 50 years ago, 100 years ago, did not have. So remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Because we are in this time period, we have been giving given a huge ability to produce wealth and to use that for his kingdom. Can we just take a moment and thank God that he created you for the ability to produce wealth? Can we take a moment and thank God that you have a job, you have the ability to find a job, you have the ability, the freedoms to come to church, to worship him, you have the ability to take care of your family. Maybe our abilities are not equal, and we'll get into that in a minute, 
but the value that God has of you is equal to the value of everyone else because you are a child of God. You are loved. You have the ability to manage everything God has given to you. Some of you might be overwhelmed today because of the details of your life, the stresses of your life, but you have to be reminded that you are enough. God had created you for a plan and a purpose. You are enough this morning to take care of his business in your life. You are valuable. God created you perfectly to handle his business. And that leads us to our next principle, the principle of responsibility. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. The same with the man who received two bags of gold. He went at once. God gives all things richly to enjoy. Nothing is ours. Nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything, and we're responsible with how we treat it and what we do with it. So while we might complain about our rights here on earth or in this country, the Bible constantly asks, what about your responsibilities? Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. We are called as God's stewards to manage that which belongs to God. So while God has graciously entrusted us with the care, development, and enjoyment of everything that he owns, has, as his stewards, we are responsible for managing his holdings for his desires and his purposes. So in this, this parable, the man who received five bags of gold, he went at once. The phrase at once is important because it shows the servant, servant felt responsibility for the assignment, and he went away to work without delay. He could have said, okay, thanks for the five bags of gold. I'm going to go take a vacation. How many know when you start a new job, taking a vacation the first week is not the right thing to do? <laughs> right? If we hired you at the Mission Church and you said, oh, by the way, this is my first day, but tomorrow I'm taking a vacation, that would not end well. And I doubt that would end well anywhere that you would ever work. Going at once means there was a responsibility. And during this, this ancient time, this period, the commentators write that he probably didn't take this five bags of gold and invest it. He, there wasn't a stock market that he was investing. He didn't take it, put it into cryptocurrency, and, 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 and expect to return the next day, right? It wasn't a stock market type of thing. He took this money, invested in himself, and created a business. And as a servant, as a slave, because he was, um, uh, because he was in partnership with his master, he probably shared with some of the rewards as well. Because the slave-master relationship isn't what we think about that today. We have a skewed version of what a slave-master relationship is, but in reality, the ancient time, the biblical time period, they were more likely partners in business. The master owned it, and it was in partnership with these three servants. So he considered them partners because he, he gave them a considerable amount of wealth as he went away. So these partners were to go and invest in a business in themselves to create wealth. This is a case for work ethic. Work ethic. He went at once. We have the responsibility to have work ethic, church. Yes, everything is God's, but also he created you to work. Not to be lazy, not to sit around for your fair share to come to you. Nothing is fair. God had created you with talents and abilities to work. Every life is a gift from God, and it needs to be managed to produce. You were created to work. I hate to tell you, I hope there's some teenagers in here listening. I hate to tell you, you were created to work for a living, 
Nothing's going to be given to you. And if you have that mindset, you are in for a tough life. God has created man to work. God has created us for a work ethic. God has created us for a work ethic because we feel great satisfaction when life comes and we earn. Accomplishments come when it is worked for. You have to earn the right to steward wealth. So find your opportunities. Don't sit around and wait for an opportunity to come to you. Don't sit around and wait for the perfect job, the perfect career, the perfect education. Go out and do something about it and watch God bless your abilities. Watch God grow your abilities. If you sit back and wait, if you don't have a work ethic, nothing is going to happen. But if you go and you look for something, you look for opportunities, you grow your education, watch God expand your ability so that you can produce more for his kingdom. The worst thing you can do is just sit back and say, God will take care of me. No, do something and God will take care of you while you do something. Amen? We're not called to be lazy we're not called to be lazy Christians. Laziness is not a testimony. It's not a testimony. No one sees you being lazy and says, oh, I want to be just like them. It doesn't happen. You're living in a fairy tale. Work and work hard and give all the glory to God. Amen? Amen. Third principle, the principle of accountability. The principle of accountability. In verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. God has entrusted authority over creation to us, but we're not just allowed to rule over it as we see fit. We are called to exercise dominion under the watchful eye of the creator, managing his creation according to his principles that he has established. Like the servants in this parable, we are called to give an account of how we have administered Everything we have been given, including our time, money, our talents, abilities, information, wisdom, our relationships, and authority. We all give an account to the rightful owner as to how well we manage the things that he has entrusted us. If there's no accountability, there is no growth. You understand that? Accountability is a tough, tough, uh, tough concept to grasp because none of us like accountability. But if there's no accountability, there is no growth. If we do not talk about money and finances within the church, then we're missing out on one of the biggest human weaknesses in history, the character flaw of greed. Jesus taught on managing finances in 11 of his 39 parables that are recorded in the New Testament, more than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because money is a true test of faith and perspective. It is very important to the heart of mankind. For many of us, the struggle to align ourselves with God is God's will has played out in the realm of our finances and how we spend money and how we delegate our responsibility of the wealth that we have. It's where the real battle happens within our heart and our mind. Logically, it does not make sense to give God 10% of what we earn. It doesn't make sense. What are we getting back from it? But faithfully, it makes all the sense in the world because it's putting God first in our lives and everything else comes second. As Martin Luther said, Martin Luther is a famous theologian. He's the start of the Reformation, but he says there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. 
That is because finances are so important, which is why we have to have a stewardship teaching discussion because we can't shy away from these things in the church context. But that brings us to the last principle, and it's my favorite principle, the principle of reward. How many of you like rewards? Come on. I like rewards. Reward systems work within the human DNA. It just does. I, I enjoy rewards in rewarding myself for something I earn. My kids enjoy rewards. How many of you have used rewards as a bribe for your kids to do something? I just potty trained my two-year-old. You best believe I use bribes and rewards to potty train him. Every time Kyler would get on the toilet, we'd cheer for him. Yay, Kyler went potty. Here's a piece of candy. You went potty. Every time he went number two, you know the big one for boys, right? Every time he went number two, we would celebrate. We'd have a dance party. We'd say, yeah, Kylie went number two. We'd dance around for him, and he would get a toy. And now that he's fully potty trained, guess what? He still expects those rewards. <laughs> he gets on a toilet, and he says, Daddy, I went potty. Where's my dance? Daddy, I went potty. Where's my candy? Daddy, I want a toy now. And they're like, no, no, son, you go potty every day, multiple times a day. I can't afford that. <laughs> reward systems work in the human DNA. That's why there's so many diets that say, okay, diet for six days, and on the seventh day, you can cheat. That's your reward day, right? It's very effective. But when we look at this parable, the servants took what was given to them, and his master came back gave an account, and then he replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in your, and share in your master's happiness. The first two servants took the money given to them and doubled it. They managed their resources well, and the master replies with well done, good and faithful servant. How many of you want to hear those words someday when our, our lives come to an end? Well done, a good and faithful servant. I find it most interesting this, in this parable, the second servant. The master gives according to their ability. So the first obviously gets the most. The second gets less than half. He gets two bags of gold. And the third gets the least. But the second, even though he got less, even though his ability was less, his reward was the same. Can someone say, thank God, our reward is the same regardless of our abilities. It doesn't matter your IQ. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter if you own or rent a home. It doesn't matter your work experience, if you have a car or not, or your abilities. What matters is that your reward is the same according to how you are faithful to God. Amen? We are on an equal playing field to the value of God because we are all valuable to God. This servant had less than half, but his reward was the same. That makes me so comforted in my own abilities and my own life. That as long as I'm faithful for what I have and what I do, my reward will be the same as those who have so much more ability than me, so much, who are so much smarter than I am, who, who have produced so much more than I have. I don't have to compare myself to other people because my reward is based on my faithfulness. Amen? Can someone say amen to that? It doesn't matter where you are in life right now. It doesn't matter your status of everything. It matters that you're faithful to God and that at the end of your life, you will hear the words, Welcome, my good and faithful servant. Come share in your master's happiness. Amen. Come share in your master's happiness. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite our worship team up as we conclude this morning. I do want to point out something in this parable that it is confusing if you read it, and it gives you a shock. And that 
is found in verse 24 when the third servant is, is speaking to his master, and he says, I knew that you are a hard man. I knew you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The third man with the talents had a different perception. He had a filtered perception of his master. He perceived his master as harsh. Do you think his perception of his master was harsh because of anything to do with the animosity he had towards his master since he was given the least amount of money? He watched the first servant get five bags of gold. He watched the second servant get two bags of gold. And then he was the third servant and he received one bag of gold. Do you think he had animosity towards his master because he had the least amount of wealth, meaning his master thought he had the least amount of ability? Do you think his actions were one confident in his God-given abilities or those who doubted his potential and had a bitter view of his master because of his lack of abilities? I just want to point out that we can all find ourselves with a bitter view of God when it comes to money and wealth, especially when we see others flourishing and we are not. We can blame God real quick for our situation in life. When bitterness sets in, we can quickly blame God for being unfair. God, why did I not get that job? Why did he get that job? Why, why, did they, why are they allowed to have that? I'm not, I'm not allowed to have that. Bitterness can set in our heart really quick we can, when we compare our portion of wealth to others. But also, we can find that on the other side. We can find ourselves bitter view of God when we do have a lot of wealth. And all of us in here today are wealthy, whether we realize it or not, because of the situation in life you are in, because you live in the United States of America, because you are in church today, we are wealthy compared to the world. We are wealthy, wealthy individuals compared to the world. Many of you have been on mission ships and you've gone to the slums and you've seen people desperately scraping together anything just to survive. There are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people who live like that. We are so wealthy. So when we read this verse and I think about what does that mean, like five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one, I would consider us people with five bags of gold because we have the ability to produce wealth living in the country that we are in in the freedoms that we have, in the time period that we are in. But we can take that wealth that we are given and we can become bitter towards God by having to give some of it back to him. Not having the perspective that God owns everything, but working for something and having an ownership mentality that it's mine and not God's, we can become bitter really quick when the church talks about finances when we talk about the tithe, 10% of our gross income, when we talk about giving to missions, giving to our benevolence, right, giving to the needy, we can become really, really quick to say, nope, this is my money, I earned it, nothing for anyone else. Bitterness can set on really quick if we do not put our heart in the right place. Money is the root of all evil. And when God is not put before money, then bitterness sets in. Whether you have money or you don't have money, it doesn't matter your situation. It's regardless, if money is put first, you will have a bitter view of God. So I'd like everyone to stand up this morning. I know finances and stewardship is not 
favorite topic. I know you want a revival right now. You want the Holy Spirit to come down and everyone worshiping, right? This is a teaching to remind you that money in your finances, it's all God's anyways. Everything is God's. He's given it to you to manage and you are to manage it according to his word, according to, according to his principles, according to his will for your life. God allows you to produce wealth. We are to honor God with what he has bestowed upon you. Amen, church? We are to honor God with everything. We come to him, we just sing Christ is the cornerstone. But if we can sing Christ is the cornerstone, but not, but not be faithful with our finances, they are just words. I'm telling you, actions speak louder than words. Amen? Your actions in your lives speak louder than words. So remember these principles, the principle of ownership, that God owns everything. We are stewarding his, his creation. The principle of responsibility. We are responsible for what God has blessed us with. The, blessed us with. the principle of accountability. We are accountable to our master and the principle of reward. It all is a reward at the end of our lives when we hear the word, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come share in thy master's happiness. Come share in my happiness. How many want to hear those words someday? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we give it all to you, Father. We give our lives to you, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord. In fact, Let's raise our hands this morning, congregation. Let's just surrender to him just for a moment. Lord, we surrender to you. We give it all to you, Lord. Lord, we give our lives to you. If we're raising our hands right now, we are surrendering to you, saying, Lord, our lives is yours, Father. Use us. Use us to produce wealth for your kingdom. Not wealth for ourselves, Lord, but wealth for your kingdom. Use us to produce an atmosphere that gives glory to God, Lord. Use us to reach this community that there's so many lost people who don't know the truth of who you are. Use us, Lord, in so many ways, Lord. You've given us so many different resources. And Lord, I pray that we would put you before wealth. We would put you before money. That, God, you would be first in our lives. There would be no other idols in our lives, Lord, before you, God. That you would be first in our lives. We would worship you and only you. Help us not to worship money. Help us not to be greedy, Lord. Help us to worship you with everything that we have, Lord. And as we surrender to you before, before you this morning, Lord, we give it all to you and we declare our lives is yours. Everything that we have is yours. Everything that we own is yours, Father. Use it according to your will, according to your purposes, Lord. Use our lives, Father, in your name that we pray. Amen.